Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. Hello and welcome to the 204th episode of The Sausage Factory. In this show we interview video game developers and ask them how they made their start making games, what their influences are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, show initially focuses on the developers themselves, and in the second half we discuss the game they're here to promote. Which for this episode is The Gardens Between by the Voxel Agents. Simon! Hello. Hello. Hi. Who are you? I'm here. Yes, indeed. Who are you? <laughs> and what do you do? I am a co-founder of the Voxel Agents. And on the gardens between, I was building levels as a level designer and also helping produce the game. It's a great name for a studio. Is it like dedicated to certain voxel-based games? Because they, <laughs> they were all the rage in the early sort of 2000s, maybe late. Yeah. yeah. There was like um, I'm going to try and claim that we're a bit of a, a voxel hipster because we called it the voxel agents before, just minutely before Minecraft came out, uh, ah, <laughs> which is right. what really kicks off the voxel age, you could say. I, I, uh, we I'm just really, thought a really, really cool old. word. I think it's like before then, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, before, before. before okay, well, yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't, I'm not sure if I was quite aware of games at that point. <laughs> no, no. Just, um, yeah. we, we learned about the term in uni and uh, thought it sounded really great. But wow. we've never used a single voxel in our history, our 10-year history. So no, no. more for the cool sound of the word, less for the technology. Um, it's nice to be able to explain that term. Uh, but most people, it just goes right over their head if they don't know anything about games. So we tend to um, focus on the sound of it. Um, yeah. Sorry, yeah, the not, name not, came not, from not, that. And, uh, yeah. and, and agents is just about um, uh, the fact that I, I kind of feel like when you enter a game, you take on a persona or you you become an agent in the world. And also, obviously, you have agency in the world. But mostly, it, um, it, it's a reference to some of the early projects we worked on when we were at uni together, uh, where you would become an agent in the world trying to find clues and solve puzzles, but in the real world. And then you'd text in answers and get a response, like an alternate reality game. Uh, and that was, um, you, yeah, kind of a reference to that a little bit, uh, some of that early work. Yeah. You know, I like to ask the names of them. Like, um, has some various... Uh, names of uh, developers, and sometimes you realise that have you just done a random name generator? No. <laughs> Did you just put color? So many are like noun color, or noun color. Um, yeah, that's the most common, I think. Yeah. Pink potato. Oh, yeah. uh, no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so no, it's a bit well, smoke yeah, and there, but uh, no, yeah, yeah. voxels for me. I yeah, that was the first big landscape games. But you can look that up if you. Okay. That's what I happened. Will. That's how they did mega <laughs> landscapes. So they they did that. It was terrible. But they tried. Right. You know, it was, yeah. Yeah. There was. There was <laughs> bad, there, yeah. There was some good games. And, yeah. Not so good. Uh, but yeah, Voxel uh, and the agents thing. I thought it was like you know Crackdown reference. But no, it's not. It's it's <sighs> right. It's much more much more cerebral than a mere reference to someone saying agent every twenty minutes when you're playing the game. So. <laughs> How did you make your start making flashy, lighty video games, Simon, sir? I studied up in Brisbane in Australia mm -hmm. uh, with my co-founder, Matt, and also my other co-founder, Tom. And we were just really enjoying making games together, doing various projects. And we'd always talked about starting a studio together, but we had no idea what we were doing. And uh, if you look back at our uni projects, they're amusing at best, um, <laughs> didn't really know what was going on. Our university course was like penned or like, pe sorry, pegged as being about entering the video game industry, but not a single university lecturer had actually made a game before. So they kind of like came from the two different worlds. It was like a dual degree of IT and creative industries. And they'd come from those separate worlds. We were the weird in-between people who wanted to join the two. 
Um, and uh, anyway, we enjoyed working on that and we certainly learned a lot about the two different disciplines. And then we went out and got jobs in the games industry. I was at Half Brick um, for about two years as well before Fruit Ninja Days. So when we were working on licensed titles, Avatar, The Airbender, uh, I made the DS game and the GBA uh, Game Boy Advance game of that. That was a lot of fun. And I actually learned most of my design chops there uh, from Chenille and from uh, Dan Vogt, who taught me a lot. They, they were a great team. And I worked with Luke Muscat, who then became famous for Fruit Ninja and all his subsequent games because he's amazing. And we worked together um, to make the Avatar game, and we learned a lot together because we both studied at uni and then got jobs at Half Brick, and that was just a fantastic learning ground for us. And after about two years, I felt I sort of wanted to start working on original games that weren't uh, under the banner of um, Nickelodeon anymore um, and be in full control and not have layers of management sort of affecting the designs and walking in and making requests. Um, and so I wanted to branch out. And then it just happened to be that the global financial crisis hit at that about that at time. And uh, so a few studios shut down in Brisbane where Matt was working. He was at Pandemic Studios. And they never got to release their Wii racing game, which is a shame. But um, we decided to branch out and make our own, our own studio. We had gained a lot of confidence because we'd been making games in the 48-hour game jams that happened in Brisbane, and we happened to win two years in a row. So that gave us a lot of confidence that we could actually do it by ourselves, and uh, we decided to, to make it happen. So that's about 2009, and we moved down to Melbourne just because we felt like a sea change, and uh, it's an awesome town with lots of great creative stuff happening. And we got started there, and that's sort of the beginning of the studio. And ever since, I've been making games with the Voxel Agents. Quite a storied history, sir. And uh, it's quite no, I'm not being patronised. I'm genuinely I love hearing these <laughs> stories. That's why I asked the question because you yeah. have everything from, well, how far do you want to go back? And like, well, yeah. I don't know when, yeah. when you start. Well, I had this Commodore 64. Okay, and then we yeah. start talking about some weird game involving a potato again. This is a series of potato <laughs> theme in this show, and uh, then it goes on from there. And it's great, but everything from what you described. But yeah, it's fascinating. You worked on. Um, mobile games because i've recently because i never really played them uh, back then i mean the the the, the yeah. earliest memory i've got of playing a proper sort of console game not not the lcd sort of game and watch things they were they were a different thing entirely mm-hmm. um was um the minish cap the zelda the minish cap mm. and oddly enough i'm embarrassed to admit that's the earliest one i've finished i know they're much <laughs> older than that but you know because i'm british we didn't get the nes i didn't really uh um glom onto Zelda until much later, much to my embarrassment. I've now, you know, played the others and that's fine. But uh, great game, by the way. And uh, what I'm yeah. fascinating about the GBA and uh, and the DS less so, but the GBA, how much they crammed in mm. <laughs> to such an extraordinary, you know, cartridge and like, how did you? How it's wizardry? Um, that you definitely wizards and probably pentagrams involved and one or two goats. Um, maybe, well, maybe not. Hope, hopefully not. Hopefully yeah. no. But uh, no. It's, so, and, uh, did you find you having to? Uh, the biggest challenge was having to work within a very restrictive environment. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, you have to be very smart with the assets that you use in the game, so you can repurpose them and change them in different ways. Uh, unfortunately, we had a really great tech artist who figured out palette shifting tools so we could have different seasons and reuse a lot of the assets in different ways, which is really smart. Which if you go back to like the NES days, yeah, Mario was doing that from as early as the NES. So using a lot of those techniques that I guess were invented like a decade or more before, but repurposing them now for a, a handheld small device that didn't have too much more powerful hardware than that, but just in a smaller package. Mm. But you just said that the UK didn't have the NES? Really? We didn't. I did not know that. We did have No it. way. We did have oh, okay. it. Don't get me wrong. We did have it. Don't get, otherwise, we get people with pitchforks. But it came out. <laughs> yeah. It came out. Multiple things happened, and Australia suffered from this fate as well. Uh, we, we were both PAL te- um, territory, so all our games yeah. ran fifty yeah. percent slower. So give uh-huh. or take, you know, a Sonic 
The music for Sonic to this day, I can't deal with it if it's NTSC. It's going too fast. Can we have the slow jazz version? Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then the other thing about the the, the, the it's much more expensive, really expensive. And yeah. at the time it was competing against the 16-bit computers of the day, the Amiga, the Atari ST, mm. and those, and of course, that, of course, PC as well. And they're going, I'm sorry, but I'd rather rather play, you know, these. Um, prettier games, even though in many regards they're very bad. I'm looking at you, Shadow of the Beast. Very bad game. <laughs> um, you did look great, but unfortunately, you know, it wasn't very... Whereas games on the NES were great, but unfortunately very, 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 very expensive. And they came out very late and also competed against the Sega Master System, which oddly did better in the UK than the NES. So, all those reasons. A little bit of potted history of that. So, yeah, um, that's why I didn't really expose to Zelda until much later in life. It's not not a bad thing, really. Mm. Uh, well, I can brutal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I, admittedly, I never really got into Zelda. Uh, it just didn't quite work for me. I never played the earlier versions, so I only started once we got to like the GameCube versions. Oh right, well, because I was so unfortunate. Yeah, yeah, I missed all of those because we, my family, just couldn't afford them. So the only option we had was a computer. Because we managed to convince my parents that uh, it was an educational tool. Yes, right. So that the one old, the, the works worldwide. <laughs> no matter what language, yeah. that works oh, yeah. worldwide. Like, oh, what do you the, do for the my single homework? Best, yeah, single best use for Encarta was to convince your parents that it was educational. Yeah, because it was rubbish. Yeah. Oh, hilarious. Yes, yes. Yeah, as soon as they walk away, you alt tab, and then suddenly you're playing Doom. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It's great, uh, I was, I was uh, but yeah, I kind of missed. Yeah, go on. I kind of missed the, the Zelda, um, the early days. But then I played Breath of the Wild, and it blew me away. That yeah. just that yeah. for me, that's just perfect. That's yeah. just such a brilliant game, and yeah, loved it. Yeah. Before that, the GameCube versions in that era kind of just felt like I was on a, I was on a linear path, like I was on a, a roller coaster, and I had to follow along with what the game wanted me to do. Mm. It just didn't. I didn't feel like I was on an adventure. I feel yeah. like I was cutting and slashing my way through a predefined story, which, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, other people, it's subject, very subjective, but for me, they just didn't quite get there. Anyway. Being, being dragged by the nose <laughs> along, but anyway. Okay, mm. um, so my next question is kind of related to what we just had a bit of a chat about, and this one is quite a nebulous question, and you might go, come on, Chris, how am I supposed to answer this? But I want to ask it, both as you and as on behalf of Voxel Agents. So the question is this, what are your biggest influences as creators of video games? Mm. Uh, okay, for me personally, I would have to go back to earlier games. SimCity is huge. I loved that game. I played a lot of that in my childhood. Um, Half-Life 2 also... Uh, Showing the level of polish you can achieve and how uh, you can have a convincing and quite enthralling uh, story told through the world and how much of it is sort of unraveling in front of you. I loved that game, uh, as many people do. Um, I guess I continue to pull a lot of inspiration from recent games that I play and combining thinking about how to combine different ideas and I do a lot of sealing of other people's ideas. Absolutely. Um, anything and else? Whenever I go, any, any other any, media do you think? Um, I think you can pull inspiration from practically anywhere. And you, mm. I think having, having a life that's fully lived and outside of the gaming world and drawing things from it is really important. And mm. because we, we ultimately are telling stories that relate back to, common life experiences. I mean, definitely the gardens between is an example of that, but um, yeah, I'd like to get out there and explore the world and, you know, have a lot of a, a, a lot going on outside of the gaming world as well. That I think we are constantly drawing inspiration from. Yeah. And um... books, TV, uh, podcasts, all kinds of things. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh you do, I mean, some people find themselves orbiting a certain subject or a thing or a constantly sort of drawn to well, a particular thing. Do you have anything like that? I, I, think, I think if you look at 
well, now after 10 years of making games, I think I can see that there's a common thread through a lot of the stuff that I make. And I'm very fascinated by the mechanical functioning of games, the, the sort of the mechanical game design and how systems are put together and how they're um, then used to create complex systems that you can explore and manipulate and test and um, take advantage of. I guess that there's definitely a common thread through a lot of my work, which is that I do really find system-oriented design quite fascinating, which is really, when you think about the gardens between, is fascinating because that's there is some of that in there, but so much of what works about it is the story and the world that's been told. So that's completely all credit to the the team that built all, all of those things. So we should get into a little bit of uh, how the gardens between was made later because I'm not actually uh, the most significant creative at all. I'm one of the least significant creatives in the development of that game. But um, yeah. We will, with that? we will definitely delve into that later. Thanks for, yeah. for raining the thing because it's very common for guests to go, oh, well, then there's like, no, please don't. Oh, never mind. Let's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> go. So I'll just let them go. It's fine because it embellishes what we talk about afterwards anyway. So mm. that's fine. Um, so let's question. I told you it does get harder. Um, this one is difficult to answer because you don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Because okay. the question is, what developer do you most admire in the industry and why? Meaning that you don't want to forget anyone. <laughs> so any particular developer yeah. you think, the thing you do, please continue. Any, or indeed you inspired well, by, or you, you doffed your cap to, or yes. Anyone, any particular group, any, it doesn't have to be a person, it could be a group of people. Mm. Well, one creator that I have a lot of respect for in that his approach is completely uh, opposed or like different to mine, which I feel like I should draw a lot of inspiration from or would like to adopt more of an approach like, is the creator of Katamari Damasi. Um, can't remember his name off the top of my head. Everyone knows the game, at least anyway. But he's got some... So, such a whimsical approach to design that throws away a lot of the preconceptions we have in the game development world. And then it feels like you get very connected to the sort of the persona and that the, the creator has behind the game rather than following some predefined routes or like uh, approaches to making games. It feels very organic the way his games are built. And there's such a whimsical nature to them that I really love that is in a way, antithetical to the like really system-driven stuff that I have often built in the past. But I'd like to take on more of that sort of loose, creative approach to making games in the future. I can definitely see that um, that influence there. And uh, Watum is the next game is coming out for you. Yeah, and it's which is very that exciting. was at PAX West. Um, yeah, and uh, I, sadly, I failed to see it because people don't understand that you know, people got four days. In fact, it's not enough. <laughs> all of the games, all of them are there, and uh, I'm still disappointed in myself that I didn't exert enough. But sometimes I just, I just run out of energy. I mean, when I saw you, yeah. I was fine. Don't worry. But oh wow, <laughs> oh, I just like my legs go almost like Chrissy. You know, but no. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, it's such it's, a sensory overload as it well. Is, it's hard to keep up. Everything is. is going on. Oh, there, yeah. there are times when I'll go off to the board game area and there's a board game area where people are playtesting their games they're designed and I'll just sit there and do that because it's more relaxing than... <laughs> <laughs> and it was great. There was one chap who made this trick-taking game and I said, this is kind of broken, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> and we sat there debugging his game in front of him going, oh, okay, yeah, we do that. <laughs> so that was, well, uh, that was more relaxing than the Expo Hall. But uh, I do love PAX. I'm going to East. Of course I'm going to East, despite the cold. And despite them, yeah. Anyway, but um, it's uh, it's it's a lovely show. I, I do highly recommend it to people. But uh, mm. yeah, Watum, looking forward to that. Involving a man, yeah. and he has a hat that he lifts up. <laughs> I, I, it's all very, yeah, it's all very strange, and it's all in that yeah. wonderful art style with that wonderful music yeah. going off, and no one knows what's yeah. going on, and that's fine. It kind of feels like uh, worlds that are imagined when you're in that half-aware state where you're almost falling asleep, half-dream world, kind of, yeah, I love that approach. Waking dreams. Mm. I, yeah. I'm, I've, I've got a repeating one, which I'm not going to reveal on the show. It's not particularly rude or anything. It's just a bit odd. 
Uh, and it's like, why? Why again? Why that again? Why? Uh, but uh, it's not disturbing or anything. It's just, why? What's that theme about? Uh, but uh, yeah, it's really weird. But uh, no, and that's you're right. That that, that kind of um, fugue state one would be in mm. when you're when you're waking yeah. up. Um, it's like uh, yeah, yeah. It's basically it's like channeled that, harness that. Yeah, he's at, at least that's what I assume he's doing. <laughs> he might be in the, knows, he I... might be in persistent fugue state as he makes the games. I don't know. <laughs> What's that strange Bobby thing? I don't know. It's called Trevo. We're gonna have it over there. And always dancing. Lots of dancing going on. Lots of dancing music and stuff. It's good. Right. So excellent, excellent answer to that question. Um, any others before we move on to the last question of this half? Wow. Any others there's, you want to um, sort there's of... so many amazing creators out there. Yeah. So, yeah, all of them. Well done, you. Yeah. Thanks for making games because it's not impossible to do. Because it is. I mean, what, that's one of the things I always say to, to guess, you know, well done for finishing a game. Sounds patronizing. Yeah. It's not patronizing at all. Oh, it's not a, at all. Herculean effort. It really is. Absolutely. How anything is made. How they finished Pong, I still don't know, but they did. And they started, well... Yeah. Oh, actually, it was Space War, but let's not go there. Yeah. That was a weird thing. It's so easy to come up with a concept, but to go through and execute on it and to bring it all together and tie it up at the end and tidy it up is just... uh, Yeah. It is is an achievement, absolutely. Even the the, the opening menu for the game. Do we have to do this? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Can't they just... No, they can't type anything. Oh, Uh, fine. Can't they just run the (laughs) compiler? No. <laughs> we'll ship the compiler. Yeah, fine. just ship the compiler and it'll be fine. You've got to be joking. It'll be fine. Right. <laughs> File size is five times. I know. Just let it. <laughs> right. So, the last question for you. And I'm legally obliged to ask this question because it's a podcast about video games. What are you playing <laughs> right now? What did I just pick up recently? I am currently playing through Hollow Knight, actually. On my Switch. On the Switch, of course you are. Um, I'm going to be one of those um, hipster fellows who go, (laughs) I played that on the PC (laughs) two two years ago. (laughs) (laughs) I have a long uh, collection of games that I need to get back into. Uh, We've been crunching for a long time on the guns between. There's a topic uh, thing to talk about. That's it, is oops. Shouldn't bring that up. (laughs) Shouldn't bring that up, no. No, you did not do that. Um, You worked very responsibly. (laughs) Of course, all the time, 100%. It was 40 hours a week, straight. Sensible hours. Sensible hours, yes. Breaks in between. We're so smart and so good at what we do that we know we can perfectly plan everything to the nth degree. If you did that, Mm. the game wouldn't be out until 2023, (laughs) but at least you're healthy, Yeah. yeah? Well, so, we started with it being a six-month project, and I think four and a half years suggests we got that wrong. Yeah, looks like your program was a bit off. So, mm. uh, <laughs> uh, otherwise, I just started uh, playing Hol- her story. Oh, her story! Um, okay. I'm with actually, I'm on holiday, sort right. of, sort of, sort of working holiday-ish oh, in Canada because I have a lot of Canada uh, Canadian relatives. Yeah, my dad grew up here, okay. and um, so I'm traveling with my parents actually, which mm. is. Uh, interesting experience i've never traveled overseas with them before and now i'm with my wife and kid as well so it's a big family affair and uh i'm taking this opportunity to introduce them to some games and so i'm actually playing her story with my mum, which is really awesome to i don't know introduce her to something so completely different you know changing her expectations around what games can be because i think so many people just assume it's all about either running and jumping on platforms or shooting space aliens so or, her story or, matching, or matching symbols with other symbols. Well, absolutely. Yes, thank <laughs> you. <laughs> and, and I'm trying to find games I think that would be perfect for them, right? So this is kind of, I don't know, I suppose living out my philosophy for game development in general, which is to build games that broaden that world and explore new spaces that haven't been done before that are quite, I suppose, accessible and friendly and can welcome anyone into and I guess I'm living that out by finding games that my parents, I think, could really enjoy. And that I think her story is working really well. And with my dad, I'm playing Automation, which is, I don't know if you've heard about it before. It's a game about designing your car's insides. So 
designing the full engine, every single aspect of the engine, how it's put together, down to the finest level of detail, and then you know building the brake system and the everything, and putting together the whole car from the inside out and designing it all, and then seeing how that affects its power curve and you know trying to yeah, anyway, it's really fascinating. My dad loves it; it's brilliant. It's a perfect game for him. He's blown away by it. I'm actually also showing them our game, the Gardens Between, and <laughs> whenever people come around and see. Dad just won't stop talking about automation. It's great. <laughs> and I think actually the gardens between just frustrates the shit out of him. <laughs> oh, do you think it's hilarious? Oh, that's, yeah. that's lovely. Yeah. Just yeah. changing, altering people's opinions of what games are about. And um, yeah. still, it still frustrates me that games are under the tech section. Why? Mm. You don't mm. put films under tech because there's, there's a... Yeah bloody dvd or a camera pointed to make them so why didn't there'll, right. be, a, there'll be a day when they get moved from tech to entertainment but right yeah. now we're still not there we're still far yeah. under tech because it is of, you know the programming involved but yeah programming even though the amount of programming the yeah. programming that goes into modern film is probably almost parallel in some places i mean imagine 3d films and all the effects that go into them there's so much tech behind that it's crazy we do sit in a weird in between of tech and art and entertainment and storytelling and it's i guess it's very hard to pin us down really isn't it mm. and games are so varied yes they can be anything from threes <laughs> to world of warcraft yep. sorry <laughs> take a drink everyone i just mentioned wow sorry about that sorry <laughs> i was swore i wasn't gonna do it and i just did it damn it <laughs> sorry sorry simon it's just a thing but my listeners will point out to me that I have a tendency to mention wow at least once. <laughs> I don't know why. I think it's, just, it's such a weird, there's twice now. It's just a weird game, I think. That's why, but I don't know. Anyway, um, so, yeah, excellent responses. And to have, like I say, to, to bring people who think video games are one thing and turns out that it's not. It's uh, broadening their perceptions of the world and, mm. and uh, making their, you know, learn something new every day. That's what you have yeah. to do, it's, you know, and uh, that the video games or games in general, because I don't discriminate. I play pen and paper RPGs and board games and stuff. It's just games, right? It's just games. Um, they yeah. are, they it's are kind of interesting. Things. Sorry, I was just jumping back to that previous thought. Yes, right. uh, it was, it's interesting, though, tr- showing my parents the game. Mm. Uh, because we set out to make a game that's broadly accessible and anyone could play and we really said to ourselves we want to make this game so that you know it could be the game that you introduced your your parents and who've never played a game before but now watching them play it i'm like there's no chance that we actually achieved that goal (laughs) because it's such an abstract world without very many correlations to a real world experience there's no strong parallels like a um like a game about shooting is pulling the trigger on a gun, which we all understand shoots a bullet and kills someone. And that's just so easy to grasp. Whereas the game that we've built is quite abstract and uh, it has its own artistic merits to it. But it's but it actually is kind of, you have to read and interpret the signals and the meaning of the game and apply it in a kind of abstract way. Yeah. And that what, for- it actually doesn't achieve that goal at all, <laughs> which is now upon reflection. So, you know, it's a great goal. But we did not achieve that. <laughs> uh, I think for me, when I sat down, I went, oh, this is like Nebulous. Now, you don't know what Nebulous is. That's fine. But I'm going, oh, yeah, I remember Nebulous. It's like this. Only with a time mechanic. So it's like Braid across Nebulous. Oh. Great. So I'm saying right. this stuff, and you're going, well, I have no idea what you're talking about. Because I'm so ensconced in the environment or in the medium itself, I mm. have loads of frame of references. I don't have yeah. the abstract problem at all. I'm not bigging myself yeah. up for being boastful. Yeah. It's just that for the audience, for me, I'm like, oh, you're already done, Chris. It's fine. You you know where you... Yeah. you know, when yeah. I sat down, I didn't struggle with the game in any way because mm. you're like, oh, mm. well, no, it's just sprayed and, and nebulous. Okay. Mm. Right. But yeah, and exactly. You know, that's, and uh, that's that's fine. Uh, but yeah. that's not what you were trying to do because it's like, well, no, you guys are fine. <laughs> We know you. Yeah. You know what yeah. Steam page is. You're sitting there That's browsing right. Steam. Right. I mean, or, or or any other outlet, or, or you know, you know how all of this works. You're done. Mm. What about everyone else? What? Everyone else? Mm. What? Why? You know, it's like why do they need to play games? They they've just been yelling at us for the past thirty years. I don't want to talk to them. 
But no, we have to. You're right, we have to. That's so. right. That's yeah, anyway, that was one of our goals. And still will be with future games, I guess, but it's humorous to now reflect it's, on. <laughs> it's a laudable goal, but uh, yes, mm. uh, uh, never mind. But we'll keep uh, striving. Yeah, keep striving, but you certainly spoke to us. And I mean us, if you know what I mean. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's, yeah, <laughs> you, as, as gamers. Yeah, we're, you pick we're, up on those yeah. things real quick. Yeah. And then so, that frees you to appreciate the other details around the world. Anyway, I'll, let's does. move on. And we don't want to go delve into the realms of gatekeeping because that's disgusting. Another one. Mm. But, uh, you know, you're, there it is. So that's the end of the first half. Well done. We managed to get through Yay. this. Yay. So now <laughs> we're going to go to the second half where we delve deep into the gardens between. Please tell us, what is The Gardens Between? <laughs> the Gardens Between is a single-player puzzle adventure game. It's a story about two best friends, Arena and Friend, and they fall into a world of surreal and mysterious garden islands that represent memories from their childhood when they were growing up together. But in this game, you don't control the characters at all. You control time. So you can move time backwards and forwards and watch them moving through these strange, surreal spaces and by observing and noticing details in the garden, you can think about cause and effect and what you could change to have a different outcome to solve puzzles and help them get through the, the strange and mysterious worlds they've fallen into and help resolve the story that they're on. Yep. Couldn't put it better myself. There's the elevator pitch, as it were, when we said it yeah. one or twi- once or twice. I'm not sure. Maybe you might have uh... Slightly. After having done Gamescom and PAX, so yeah, maybe, <laughs> yeah, out. yeah. Um, so, one of the things that struck me this first technical question, so brace yourself. One of the things that struck me about this, and I already hinted at it for older listeners, might have recognized me saying Nebulous, because Nebulous has a unique, it's very, very old, it's 1984, um, and it has a unique sort of visual style in that you're playing this little strange blue character that's jumping up and down the large tower and this tower is rotating around similar to what mm-hmm. you've got with the gardens between in that it's a cylindrical like view of a two-dimensional mm-hmm. world and mm-hmm. i'm just gonna have to ask the rather blunt question i can't i tried to flower it up but i couldn't why why did you go with that why did you make this this strange cylindrical view how did that come about was it an initial thing or was it gently did it gently evolve into that place why? Mm. Great question. Uh, I haven't been asked that at all before. So it's interesting. The, the pathway that we took is quite uh, mangled. I don't know. <laughs> Indirect. There's a lot of iteration that this game has been through. And some of the earliest ideas were in two dimensions. There were two-dimensional kind of uh, scenes you would see from side on or top down. And you would have characters moving through them backwards and forwards and you'd be controlling time just like we do now. Um, but as we watch these scenes, we could see that uh, observational storytelling was really interesting in these spaces, but also have been constrained to just like a, a left to right camera motion wasn't 
as satisfying as the first time we put it into a three-dimensional space and started moving around the space. And, and I mean around like the cylindrical center. And uh, that was just instantly much more eye-catching, interesting, um, kind of novel and, and, and felt really, really satisfying to move around. And uh, so we started just building on that idea and taking it further and further. And there were so many experiments around what is the most interesting way to move the camera around. We tried the reverse where the camera is like a, um, moving around the center and looking outwards to like a, the outside or the, the inside, I suppose, of the cylinder and tried all kinds of different arrangements that would feel quite natural to move in a continual uh, pattern, like a, in a spiral pattern up, up and down. Um, but just the, the cylindrical shape in the center, like the pyramid in the center, I suppose, always kind of felt the best. And because you can see it from all sides and you can see, um, yeah, all the elements around it quite easily, not, not much is obstructed in that way. That was definitely like the natural evolution to get there design wise. But then on top of that, uh, our artist, John struck upon the idea that, um, these spaces, uh, you can potentially spend half an hour in them if it's a difficult puzzle and wanted to be able to make them really, um, relaxing and ambient and kind of like peaceful to be in. And he stumbled across the parallel to Japanese rock gardens that have, uh, symmetrical pyramid like structures that all sort of heap towards a central point in the middle. And, uh, those Japanese rock gardens, um, are about being peaceful and meditative and just like nice to be in for a long period of time. And so he started bringing those two together and uh, working with that Japanese rock garden design and style. And if you look at all the gardens, there's actually a very strong sort of Japanese rock garden aesthetic to them that he came up with. And that is, yeah, very intentional in that way. Fantastic story. Why I wanted to ask it because I've seen it very. It's not often I've seen games that have the cylindrical sort of model or view. And uh, mm. I mean, by all means, have a look at Nebulous. Sorry to mention it again for the twelfth time, but uh, you'll look at it and go, "Oh, this is very embryonic." It is. It really is. Nebulous from nineteen eighty-four. Yeah. What platform is that on? C sixty-four. Commodore sixty-one. Okay. Uh, it's not very good. It's very very hard, but. It's the beginnings okay. of something, you know? That's what a lot of yeah. the games were back then. So when I saw yeah. Carlos Between, I thought, oh, I'm, I'm comfortable with this view. I'm comfortable with this environment. Uh-huh. And that's what made me latch onto it because that's what humans do. They want, you know, they yeah. seek they seek um, ch- um, difference and unique things. And, but at the same time, they're scared of it. <laughs> we, yeah, I think, we, I think we look for parallels to things you already know so that you yes. can... It more easily understand it yeah. and like you've compacted that information away and you, yeah. you get it you were grok to that idea yeah. and now it's just like an extra 10 percent on top of that which Indeed. makes it so yeah. much easier to follow yeah. yeah so um i want to talk about level design now we have to we, we can't not because <laughs> that for me that well, i suspect has spent most of your time doing with developing uh the goal mm-hmm. between while time moves forward without deviation as you said already Objects do not. They can be manipulated and changed slightly. Therefore, time or the events that occur in that time differ. How difficult has it been to ratify this when designing each level? Mm. Very difficult (laughs) is the short answer. Um, Because our brains don't naturally comprehend or easily uh, think about anything outside a standard linear movement and constant forward motion of time. Cause that is literally how the world always works. <laughs> so you just, whenever you try and think outside of that space, it's really complex. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of time spent sort of looking at a page with a really scrunched face, trying to fathom what exactly will happen if I shift an object to an earlier part of the timeline and the the uh, the almost infinite effects that that will have on the future timeline if you do that, and trying to ponder them through and think about how that will affect the the future of the garden, it's a very complex process. Um, 
my wife teases me actually about the day that I was working from home and I was trying to design this garden and I spent half an hour with <laughs> the most scrunched consternation face looking down at the page trying to work it out. And uh, she, she mimics me, which is a bit mean. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's it, the, the, the act of moving a cup one inch to the left would have dramatic yeah. effects on like, huge consequences on the universe as a whole. And, That's uh, right, the butterfly the effect. Butterfly thing. effect yeah, which yeah. when you yeah. try to uh, describe that to, to people, uh, it's generally they stop listening after the first sentence. Mm. Um, and <laughs> rightly so, because it's uh, our primate brains can only take so much. Uh, mm. and yeah, that's it's, right. It's, it's difficult for, but you've done a really good job of modelling so, these branching concepts of we could go this way, we could go this way. Yeah, that's right. So we didn't want to get into time paradoxy type territory, or we tried to avoid it and gloss over it a little bit because it's just not. It's too complex and not very interesting to follow. They're very not very much not accessible. Um, but Henrik, the lead designer, the, the creative director behind the project, who's who's been leading this whole game, he uh, sort of came to understand how to best design the gardens by putting them down on paper and thinking about the objects that do move in time and giving them an individual like one dimensional one dimensional timeline back and forth and where they would go and what they would see along the way and what they would potentially interact with or where the characters might come across them. And then for every object that moved, it would get its own timeline. And then everything else would just be drawn as markers on those timelines for where they would be interacted with. And so in that way, you had sort of like a notation for thinking about the world in space and time and where they interacted and crossed paths. Um, so actually, most of the gardens are built initially as concepts on paper, as lines with markers. Best way to do it in some cases. Some of the video games are based on board games. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. trying to make this yeah. game and see if it works functionally. Because, you know, I thought I said it once before, but, you know, definitely programming is a means to an end. We don't really delve into it in this show. I, I could delve in and talk about logic loops and, and flags and things, but it's not particularly interesting listening. Uh, so we generally, it's generally a tool. It's a means by which these games are presented to you. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's the, the the idea of using pen and paper and actually just sort of drawing it all out. It's easier for our primate minds to actually grasp what we're trying to achieve, uh, rather mm. than uh, sort of uh, replicate it on the computer and go, let's see if it runs. Because sometimes that works, but games like mm. this, certainly games like The Guns Between, which is so narrative driven, I don't think it did or it would have done. So letting the computer almost run away with it. They would have gone to some very strange places, places that we wouldn't, well, you couldn't actually solve. You would have uh, landed yourself into the realm of those uh, um, uh, early 90s point-and-click adventures, which were almost impossible to solve because the puzzles involved were just utterly, utterly absurd that no one could possibly, (laughs) you know. um, Yeah, there's there's a a particular one uh, involving cat hair and sellotape. Just, it was bizarre, uh, and it almost it did actually. It's been cited as the thing that killed the genre off. Didn't kill it off, but it certainly mortally wounded it before it came uh, sloping back. Um, yeah, don't know that example. That's no, great. No, Gabriel Knight, Gabriel Knight three, cat hair. Just look mm-hmm. it up. Terrible. Okay. Um, <laughs> so the third question then um, is related to what I've said about narration. There's a strong relationship between the two characters. Yet there is little to nothing said between them. It's just a dynamic mm. that you very quickly glom onto uh, because of their expressions and the, how they move, and one's more carefree than the other. Uh, why? Why did you do that? Why did you decide to have them almost silent? Well, there's a few reasons. And again, I'd credit this to Henrik and John and Josh in the early stage of the project, wanting to make it accessible. So by, by, um, not having any words or direct exposition in it, it's broadly more accessible because uh, it, it immediately works across the world. Um, and a second sort of important imperative for it is that by leaving uh, more negative space in the game and in the world, 
without direct exposition, letting the player connect the dots themselves. They can also apply their own personality and experiences to what they see and will interpret the world in a way that feels appropriate to them and by putting themselves into the game or seeing how it reflects on their own life. That makes the story that much more impactful. And I think that's a really great choice in this game because I think particularly looking at childhood experiences and the the final outcome of the story, I think we all can share some sort of, you know, references to our own lives in that way. And I think it makes it that much more impactful when you can sort of reflect on your own experience and put yourself in the world. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh you can that way you can gain agency. Yay, see look. Mm. So, so, <laughs> there. so but no, uh it definitely does that and you can definitely relate to both characters in they have their own mm. works. Some are drawn to one of them, the others, and that's fine. Then the other, I should say, then that's fine. Um, but it's lovely to see that sense of human. It, these are ultimately just computer programmed, of course, but they're heavily scripted. Uh, but uh, that doesn't you know, detract from the emotion or the sense of attachment you have to them. Uh, yeah, I actually feel like perhaps it's actually more expressive to lead, to say less. Hmm. In a strange way. That uh, strange phrase of less is more. Beautifully rendered in the Garden of Between. So my last question to you, and uh, all good things will come to an end. The sense of reward <laughs> to the players they complete each level is quite strong uh, in Garden of Between. Was this done to counter the challenging aspects of some of the levels in order to drive the player forward? Was there a lot of attention drawn to, you know, rewarding the player for completing? I mean, it's a generally feeling of a uh, sense of uh, I am not an idiot. Uh, it was is is uh, quite strong in the Garden Between. Was this deliberate or was it more accident than design? Sorry, so just to get that question, just are asking if the the reward of solving the puzzles and the feeling of being smart yeah. is quite intentional in the way it was done. Yeah, uh, yeah I think to a certain degree. Um, we were definitely looking to build interesting and surprising, perhaps delightful puzzles, ones that surprised you in how they were executed or in what you actually had to do. So we started initially with looking at puzzles that are about observation, noticing what's there and thinking about the cause and effect it might have but then the best executions of that were often quite surprising uses of that so for example like having the computer game inside the screen that you you know one of the characters jumps into the screen and then you're controlling that computer game separate just as a great example of like it's quite surprising when that first happens and then you realize you can control the computer game within a computer game and, and then thinking about how you might do use that to your advantage is yeah, just a, a great example of how that's very simple but also really quite surprising. Um, I, I think we sort of started with that and the fact that it feels quite uh, rewarding as as like a representation of your your smarts in the game, um, sort of like a secondary effect of it perhaps, not necessarily direct uh, as our intention. Um, I guess we were always looking for puzzles that, find that nice balance between uh, obtuseness or um, like hidden and looking, searching for what is relevant. But on the other hand, being too simple and um, too obvious. So like trying to find that mid ground where we think most people would be able to eventually by looking at the world in great detail would notice what's relevant and think and thinking through the cause and effect, they would come across the solution pretty naturally. Um, so I'd say like 90% of the things that we made for this game were thrown away and only 10% was ever kept. And yeah. so there's a lot of exploration and searching that we did in a way that makes us not particularly like it was, we're not, we're no geniuses. We didn't come up with these ideas first time. It took a lot of searching and iteration to, to strike upon the best ideas. Mm. Mm. Well, yeah, yeah. The creating endeavors are very ultimately quite destructive. Um, 
Mm-hmm. But, uh, it's just the way of things because you say, that's a great idea, but not for this game. And that's fine. Yeah, there's a lot of that, for <laughs> sure, yeah. So, mm. Gardens Between is uh, by Voxel Agents is out now, as you listen to this show. Uh, it's on the PlayStation 4, Nintendo Switch, Windows PC, Mac, and Linux. Um, Simon, it's been fantastic having you on. Thank you very much. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I hope you did. I know I did. I hope you got something out of this. Uh, it's been uh, more than welcome to come back and chat about whatever ever, um, game you're working on in the next four years. <laughs> I'm sure we'll be here. <laughs> We've been here for five, so why not another four? Uh, but uh, you can do it. Yes, we definitely will. Uh, but uh, in the meantime, thank you very much. Thank you.